We live in a very strange world. We're tackling the Sermon on the Mount right now, and there's this one point in the sermon that you kind of take, take for granted nowadays, and it's the part about murdering one another. And, and for, for centuries and millennia, people have kind of arrived at the Sixth Commandment of the Ten Commandments and said, oh, yeah, well, of course, you know, it's do not commit adultery, and people question that one, and do not lie, and do not make false idols, and honor your parents, and remember the Sabbath day, and, and some of those are kind of dicey. Do not covet. I mean, that's not one we can exactly check off our list, but when we get to do not murder, usually we feel pretty good about ourselves, and, and uh, we, we live in this culture today where it, it almost just needs to be said openly, do not murder. It's just very strange. I have, I have friends from overseas now that have considered visiting the United States, and and their parents are asking them questions like, is it safe for you to do so? Because it's the Wild West. And I've had friends, and, and you've probably had friends too, that have found out Louisville is kind of the epicenter of some chaos right now, and people are checking in with you. Are you okay? And, and you know, even, even six months ago, murder wasn't on our minds quite so much. But here it is. It's just right in front of us all the time. And, and Jesus gets to this topic, and he kind of shreds us. Um, we, we think, well, we're, we're, there's, there's this line, there's the murderers on that side, and we're on this side. And Jesus says, well, hold on a second, pal. You need to take a look at your own heart. And he, he dives into attitudes and ideas of the mind and heart, and it gets a little scary for us. And that's what we're diving into today is this passage where Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And I want to talk about what this word means a little bit. It's, it's this Hebrew word that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Hebrew is really challenging for me as far as that's concerned, but it's my, my, my 12-year-old would really like this. The, 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 gr- the grammar of the passage actually works out, you shall murder, not. And that's, that's how the Hebrew works. And this, this word murder, sometimes it's translated kill, and sometimes it's translated murder. And, and so I've done some study this week on which is more accurate. And, and ultimately, as you study commentaries, you find out things like this, that you would think of all the Ten Commandments, that the one that needs the least explaining is the sixth, do not murder because it seems so clear. In fact, it's probably the least well understood of the Ten Commandments. And like I said, it's, it's the one of the Ten Commandments that we go through and we check and say, oh, well, I'm doing just swell, just fine. And I've, I've, I've heard it used as kind of a get-out-of-jail-free sort of test of goodness before. You may have had these conversations yourself where you ask somebody, are you a good person? Do you consider yourself a good person? And they'll ultimately, most people ultimately will say, yes, I am. And if you ask why, this is the quote that comes out. I, I've heard it. I've, I've heard it be, well, I haven't murdered anybody, as if that's the, the standard. Like, everything below that is you're, you're just swell, and everything above that is you're the bad guy. But it, it, it goes a lot deeper than that that Jesus is going to get into here. And as you read commentaries, you find out that murder is a more appropriate translation than kill, even though the word occasionally refers to involuntary homicide. The verb refers to all killing except in war, capital punishment, or self-defense. And some, some people even go so far as to say just war. So there's a difference between unjust war and just war, and and they'll they'll say that sometimes killing in a just war is considered justified. But then you get into the question of when is war just and when isn't it? And some of it depends on which side you're on, and and the God's eye view is probably different than the man's eye view. It says the same verb implies killing with intent and killing without intent, and the illegal or immoral taking of a human life. And so these are all different commentaries on what this passage means and what this word in the Hebrew actually means. some, some scholars will point out that the very same part of the Bible that contains the Ten Commandments, the five books of Moses, the Torah, as it is known by Jews, commands the death penalty for murder, allows killing and war, and allows eating meat. And so they will argue that, it, you know, because if you, take, if you take it at face value, you shall not kill, then that means you're not supposed to eat meat as well. And some people will argue that 
that, that that's universal for that we're all supposed to be vegans or vegetarians. And so, um, I, but, but again, it'll, the, the Old Testament allows for eating meat, it allows killing and war, and allows penalty for murder. But we're going to get into, was this God's ideal, or was it kind of a, a giving over to a bad system? And I'm going to argue the latter. Um, but we don't say, I killed a mosquito. We, we, we do say, I killed a mosquito. We don't say, I murdered a mosquito, right? There, there was, I watched this video clip this morning. There was this clip where uh, President Barack Obama was in an interview, and maybe you've seen this. There was a fly buzzing around his head. Who's seen this video where he spots the fly? Nobody. You should watch this because it's, it's like this really amazing moment in television history. And so the president's there try, trying to be all dignified, but there's this fly buzzing around him. And at one point he goes and smokes that fly. And that fly drops to the ground, and the interviewer goes, man, well done. And it's like this Miyagi moment where he just kills a fly. And, and now there's all these parody videos of it online where, where he's, he's talking in English, but the, the subtitles are coming out. You know, the subtitles are down. And then, the, then he'll go, oh, or, or the, they do it with music. And they do one that's a fly eyes perspective of him looking up at Obama going, oh. I mean, it's just become this media sensation. But... And, and, and ultimately, there were organizations that were really upset that he killed that fly on public television, saying that it was cruelty to animals and so forth. And so, so you, you can see the videos yourself. But so, so this, it, it matters how we parse out words, is what I'm saying. Because if we parse out the word as to kill, then what he did was wrong, right? If we parse it out as murder, then nobody ever says you murdered a fly. So it's important that we understand the words behind the passage, it's important we don't give ourselves the get-out-of-jail-free card because I haven't murdered anyone. So what happens is this becomes a standard of goodness, and Jesus is going to break down that standard in this passage. He's going to say, not so fast. Because we want to say, I've been pretty good. I haven't murdered anyone. And he's going to say, well, let's check your heart, pal. And that's what he goes on to do. But I want to argue that the law was, argue briefly, or at least state briefly, that I think the law was about civic and religious duty in a broken world and does not necessarily reflect God's ideals. I think if you go back to the beginning of, of Scripture, God's ideal was that people wouldn't kill people, period. That that's, that's the world we would live in. That it would be a, piece of, a world of shalom and peace, and that it would be a world where just war or unjust war didn't occur at all because wars didn't occur, because it was a world of peace, and capital punishment wouldn't occur because people's hearts would be pure and people would be connected to God. And, and so forth. And so my, my take on it is that God is good and he doesn't desire even death. That death is the enemy. And when we participate in murder, we're participating in death and we're, we're holding hands with the enemy of God. And so I, the law, you shall not murder, is a law that ultimately should have never had to have been stated because people's hearts and minds would have been so holy and pure and connected with God that it would have been unthinkable to do such. But we live in a fallen world and there it is. And so I saw this quote this, this week about Christ's commandment contains the law, but the law does not contain Christ's commandment. In other words, what God thinks about this issue and what God thinks about the, your worldview when it comes to, to killing or hatred or, or tribal, tribalizing or, or holding people at bay, is, it's so far above how we think. And Christ starts to hint at that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that God thinks a little differently than we do, and that God's purity is much much cleaner than we could ever imagine and cleaner than we could ever possibly be. And that's, that's what we talked about last, last time was the, the magician's trick of, of the pledge, the turn, and the prestige, that every magician does a trick. And Jesus, Jesus is telling us for the kind, of, kind of clearly that we don't add up. And this area of murder is one area that he's going to hammer pretty hard here in just a moment and show us that we think our hearts are pure. We think we've got the get-out-of-jail-free card, but we don't. We need, we need God to do something 
in our lives. I pl- I'm a nerd. I play uh, role-playing games. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that in front of people. I've played Dungeons and Dragons since I was, I, I was the kid in high school that, with the mullet and the overcoat that played during my lunch breaks at high school. And I put the game down for 20 years, and then about six years ago, my son and I picked it up and have been playing it a lot. But, and, and I may have mentioned this in before, that the rules for Dungeons and Dragons are the rules for role-playing games. They have what they call raw or ray or rye. Raw is rules as written. Rye is rules as intended. So when the game makers parse out the actions of your characters and all this stuff, they, they try to do their best to account for every dynamic that might happen around a table as you're playing this game, but they just can't, they can't do everything. And so you have to kind of get in the minds of the designers of the game to figure out how the game is supposed to be played as far as the rules are concerned. And this is what we're talking about here where Jesus is concerned. Is the, the concern of Jesus is so far above this, you shall not murder. It's to having a heart full of love that murder would become impossible. The rules as written might say you shouldn't murder, but that, was, that were rules for a particular time and place and dynamic in a world that is broken and, and wounded. But the rules as intended is something beyond that that Jesus gets into as he continues. The early church father, Chrysostom, says this. He says, it's as though he had said to a lazy student, this is, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount in this moment with Jesus, you have spent enough ta- thought on these lessons. It's now time to press on to lessons higher than these. So Jesus says, you've known the law forever, and the law says you shall not murder, and you think you're off the hook if you haven't actually murdered somebody, but let's get into something deeper. Let's, let's look at the rules as intended, not the rules as written, and see something more foundational and more important. So this is what he says. He says, you've heard that it was said you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So what does that mean? Let's talk about the Greek word judgment, which is krisai, or krisai. And krisai is parsed out. So he's saying, if you murder, krisai, right? And that's parsed out in, the, in these, it's, it's from the same root as krisis, and that is pronounced in English as, what do you see as the third thing there? Crisis. So this is where we get the word crisis, or at least the, the, the word has parsed out that way throughout history to where when we say crisis, the Greeks would have said crisis. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, anyone who murders will be subject to crisis. It says something bad follows. Now we read, we read it in English as, whoops, sorry, sorry, here we go, there we go. We read it as judgment, and we immediately think of God on his throne saying, you are bad. But that's not how the Greek would have read it. The Greek would have read it as bad consequences follow this particular behavior. It's destruction. It's crisis. It's, it's, it's badness. It's ugliness. And in some sense, it's hell, which we'll get into in a minute. But he says, you'll be subject to crisis. So how do we define this word in Greek? It's a verdict or a sentencing or a judgment. And it also carries this flavor or this nuance where it's like a constitutionally justified judgment. So if you, com- in, in our system, if you commit a class C misdemeanor, for example, there's this spectrum of punishments that you might face. If you, if you do the crime, you'll do the time. It's, it's if, you, if you exceed the speed limit by X amount, you're going to lose your driver's license. It's a constitutionally justified punishment that follows. And the person executing that judgment is following something long stated. It's a natural consequence that was built into the system, right? And so when it talks about crisis or, or judgment, that's what it's talking about, is something bad is going to follow that's constitutionally justified and it's built into the system. And when you, when you murder, you don't heal from that. Bad things happen. You've, you've, ruined, you've ruined much. And so, but it's also, this is super interesting to me, it's also the turning point or decisive point in a disease progression. So there may come a time when you have 
diabetes, for example, and the doctor will say, it's unfortunate, but you've reached the point where we have to amputate your leg. This is a crisis. This is the crisis. This is the disease has built up enough to where suffering will now occur and is unavoidable. So when Jesus says a murderer will be, faced, will, will be subject to crises, he's saying a murderer will come to this place of non-redemption. A murderer will come to this place where it's just a downhill slide from there and it's, it's going to be impossible to recover from. And you don't want to be in that slide. You don't want to be facing that crisis. But then he goes on. And this is, it, the, whole, the whole passage is just fascinating. He, he starts with murder, 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 except in war or self-defense or something like that, it's murder. And, and we go, yes, well, you shouldn't murder. But then, and he says, the murderer will face crisis. But then he stretches it further and he starts to hit home with us. He says, I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to crisis, to crisis to this downhill plunge, to this progression in the disease that ends poorly. And it starts to hit a little bit home. No, no longer is it a get-out-of-jail-free card, is it? No longer can we stand up and say, well, I'm good because I haven't murdered anyone. But then it's also important that we look at the word angry in this passage and find out what, is it, what exactly is he talking about. But again, he says anger leads to a verdict, to a sentencing, to a judgment, to this point in the progression of the disease where healing is no longer an option. Anger gets to that point. So he's, he's talking about this road of the heart that starts with irritation, starts with frustration, builds towards contempt, and ultimately in the heart and mind becomes murder. It becomes ill-wishing of the other or wishing of diminishment or banishing of the other. And that road, when you start walking down it, is an ugly road that ends poorly. And he says, you don't want to go down that road. But this word angry in the Greek, orgazomenos, sorry, orgazomenos, orgazomenos. Orgazomenos is this word angry. So when he says, I tell you that anyone who is angry, he's saying anyone who is orgazomenos with his brother. And it means settled opposition. And listen to this. This is, this is so interesting in, our, in, our, in the culture that we live in and the frustrations that we deal with. This orgazomenos orgazomenos, sorry, focuses on punishing the offender rather than the moral content of the offense. It's irritated, it's provoked, it's under wrath. In the Greek, whenever you hear about the wrath of God, it's, it's this Greek root, orge, which this word comes from. And it's, it's, I see what you've done and I want you to suffer for it. Or I want to diminish you because of it. And as you see here, it's talking about, it's, it's turning away from the, the offense, it's turning away from the thing that went wrong to the person and wishing ill upon them. And it starts to create murderous intentions in the heart. It may not be murder as in physical killing murder, but it's wishing ill will on the other. It's being offended. It's being irritated. And Jesus says that road ends in crisis. It ends in crisis. It ends Poorly. You don't want to let that fester in you. You don't want to let that build up in you. You want to be able to let it go. But he says anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to this crisis. But it gets worse. Before it gets better, it gets worse. 
He continues in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, so earlier he says, but I tell you, you can't be angry. Now he says, you can't even call your brother empty-headed or foolish. He says, Any, anyone who says to a brother or sister, and these are Aramaic words that were, were trans, translated into the Greek, raka, anyone who says to your brother or sister, raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says more, and I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation, but more will be in danger of the Gehenna of Pyros, is, is how the Greek translates. It's this junk pile outside the city of Jerusalem where things burn and maggots infest. And he says, anyone who calls his brother Raka or calls him More is subject to this trash heap. It's, it's becoming altogether infinitely, indefinitely worthless to becoming garbage. Now, have any of us... And, and, these, these words are, are <laughs> kind of funny, but into, ultimately a little scary because raka, he says, if you, if you call your brother raka, you're answerable to the court. Raka means empty-headed or brainless. This would be the equivalent of calling someone a moron or an idiot. Anybody ever called somebody an idiot? Three people are honest. My brother and I, when we were like 12 and 10, had this book of slang that we would sneak out and read. And, and it would always have, it would use examples and sentences, and one of them was the word applehead. And applehead was a mindless or brainless person, kind of an idiot or a moron. And the quote, <laughs> this is so dumb, the, the quote that they gave, the, the use in a sentence was, you, sir, are an applehead. So even to this day, I'm 47 years old as of last week, and even to this day I'll say to my brother sometimes, you, sir, are an applehead. <laughs> and Jesus says, one who says such a thing is in danger, right? Raka means you're mindless, you're brainless. Probably this week in this room there have been people calling other people mindless or brainless. And Jesus says this ends in a poor place. But then he goes on to use more, which is more like godless or even wicked. It's heartless. If you say someone is heartless or, they've, or they're ugly, uh, Jesus would say, this is, this is bad, and it ends in the Gehenna of Pyros, the, the Gehenna of fire. The hell of fire is how the English translates it, which I think is a kind of a miserable interpretation. But it says this ends in a really bad place. Now, all of a sudden, how are we when we face off with the Sixth Commandment? When it says, you shall not murder, well, you're not allowed to call your brother Dunderhead or Applehead anymore. Now, again, this is jokes between kids, but if I really call you mindless... See, here's what happens in these, two, in these two words that Jesus has brought to our attention. Number one is attack, you're attacking the mind of the person. And in number two, you're attacking the character. And you see that goes back to what he was talking about earlier, the word angry, being I'm no longer interested in the argument. I'm no longer interested in the morality of the situation. I'm interested in you as a person being bad. And, and in some sense, carrying an air of, of superiority over the other person. So I say you're mindless, or I say you're ugly-hearted, and it's an ad hominem attack that Jesus would say ends poorly. And in some sense, we're also making ourselves out to be God. In 1 Samuel, it says this, that people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When we start to examine people's minds and we think we know what's in their heads, and we think we know what's in their hearts, all of a sudden we're playing God in ways that we were never intended to play God. God would say, it's a bad idea. I had a friend this week that posted something on Facebook and had to do with the Breonna Taylor case. And 
and I'm not even going to tell you which side of the aisle that this particular person was on, except to say that they posted, they, they, they posted an article about the events. And as you would expect, there were 140 comments within a half an hour. I mean, boom, 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 just explosive, and people fighting on both sides and hating one another, right? And at one point, and I've changed this person's name to, to hide their identity, but at one point, a person said, Jackson, to the, to the person who posted the original comment, you're turning into a real piece of excrement. Now, it wasn't as harsh as this. It was actually the emoji of a pile of poop, which has a little smiley on it. So technically, you can get away with that. You can call your friends this as long as there's a smiley involved in it, right? But this is what happened. Said, so, so it wasn't arguing the case. It wasn't arguing the events. It wasn't trying to persuade. All of a sudden, it became you're a mindless, evil person. You, ha you have become something awful. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to persuade us against in this passage. That, that's murderous. That's, that's, that's killing. That's, that's sucking the life out of people. And it isn't to say the ideas might not be wicked, or the ideas might not be evil, or the ideas might not be wrong, but it's when you turn to which ad hominem kills the man. An ad hominem is, is a logical fallacy, which it, it means against the man. And so homo sapien in the Latin is, is, is mankind. So, so when we see homonym, that's what it's talking about, is, is the man. So if I say, well, we need to look at this particular aspect of the justice system and make changes here, here, and here. And somebody else says, you are such a flippin' idiot. That's an ad hominem attack. You see, it's, it's a logical fallacy. They, haven't, they have not attacked the argument. They've attacked the man. And attacking the man kills the man. It kills the man, but here's what it also does. It kills the man. It kills the sender and the receiver. It brings death into the situation. It sucks the life, the zoe life of God out of situations when, when it becomes, we no longer attack ideas. We no longer think through facts. We no longer think through situations and circumstances and love one another through those moments and through those difficulties, but instead... You are such a flippin' idiot. You are ugly. You are stupid. You couldn't possibly have right motives to think what you think. And that's where things get really ugly really fast and people start pulling guns and killing each other. And I think that's what Jesus is alluding to. So Jesus' teachings go to the mind and the heart. It goes far beyond action. The, the Jewish person listening to the Sermon on the Mount up to that point thought, well, I'm pretty good. I've obeyed this commandment and this commandment and this commandment and this commandment. And Jesus says... What about your heart? What about who you are on the inside? What about how you feel about other people and how you look at other people and how you think about other people? Where, where do you stand that? Does that look godly? He starts, he starts really pushing back on like what goes on in here. Not necessarily out here, but in here. And that's where the battle starts, is up top. Jesus' teachings go not only to how, where, where you're at up here, and where you're at right here, but it's how you view where others are at up here and right here. Because people can be legitimately mistaken about really, really important issues. And most of us don't ha have the grace to allow people to be mistaken. And most of us don't have the grace to come alongside people and gently and carefully correct mistakes and mistaken thinking and mistaken heart places. But instead, we just dismiss 
We're not willing to do the hard work of loving. We want a fast solution, and the fastest solution is to say, you're a flippin' idiot, and I want nothing to do with you. And I think Jesus would frown upon that. He would say, he would say to guard against dehumanization. That's what happens when, he's, when it gets to saying, raka, and you fool. No longer are you a human. You have taken an identity that is inhuman. And people do it all the time. And I, I've seen so much of it on social media, just even this week, people dehumanizing one another, saying, saying things about people that make them less than human because of views that they hold that are different than their own. And, and please, please, please don't mishear me. The, the, the stuff we're dealing with, these are weighty subjects. These are important things that we need to talk about as a culture and as people and as individuals and as a church. But we, we, we talk about the ideas. We talk about the circumstances. We talk about the situations. And we, in some sense, give people the benefit of the doubt as far as heart. It's not always easy. And, I, and, I, and in a broken world, we're going to be wrong sometimes. But God would say, guard yourself against that dehumanization process that views the other person as less than human. He would say that loving relationship, when possible, rules the day. And the when possible part is important because you can't always have loving relationships, but as, as, as followers of Christ, we strive towards them. And then Jesus continues. So he says, don't murder, but anyone who's been angry with their brother or sister faces the same crisis as the murderer. And anyone who calls their brother a fool or a moron or an applehead is subject to the Gehenna of Pyros, the, the waste dump. And then he goes on to say, well, let's, now, let's, now let's, let's figure this out. What is, what, is, what is life supposed to look like? He says, therefore, so this, some of these connecting words are super important in Scripture. He says, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't hate, you shouldn't let anger fester in you, you shouldn't dehumanize. And then he says, therefore, because you shouldn't do that, here's what you should do instead. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And then remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. So he says reconciliation trumps religious ritual. Now this was a huge deal to the Jewish audience he was speaking to. Uh, making the sacrifices to God was how you made things right in your life. Was when you committed X sin or Y sin or did this particular um, became unclean for this particular reason. You would, go to the, you would go to the priest and you would offer your sacrifices and you would humble yourself before God and leave right with God. And Jesus says, let's, let's put that system on the back burner. He, and on the back burner, he doesn't say we're getting rid of the system of being right with God entirely, but he says there's something that trumps this. Reconciliation trumps religious ritual. This is a huge deal to the Jewish people at that time. It's saying you're better off going to make amends with your brother and connecting with the people that, that hate you or that you hate than being in here at church worshiping God. He says that's more important. It's more important that the ugliness between people is healed than that your rightness with God is put at the forefront because your rightness with God actually ultimately hinges and balances on your relationship with other people and your connection with other people. He continues. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So this is the crisis. This is the crisis, the ugliness, the hatred, the adversarial relationships that we have with people. When allowed to manifest, when allowed to fester, when allowed to grow, they turn into something ugly. As we've seen in the previous passage, it turns into judgment, into crisis. It turns into a garbage dump. It turns ugly. 
And now, now he's saying in human terms, it's like going to court. And if you go to court and you, and you let it get, if you let it get so far, it gets bad. If you let it get a little further, it gets worse. If you let it culminate, it gets terrible. Deal with it on this side. Deal with it over here while there's still time. Deal with it over here while tensions may be less, while, while irritations may be less raw. Deal with it on this side and do it now. Now is the time for halting. Wait a second here. I don't want to make you my enemy. Wait a second. We have different ideas, but it doesn't mean that we have to hate each other. Now is the time for that. Not later when guns are ablazing, but now. And I, and I get it that culturally we've, we've gone a long ways and that we're fighting crazy wars that are really difficult to figure out how to, par, how to, how to, how to figure out the when, where's, and how's of when to fight and when to not fight and when to speak and when not to speak. But I'm saying as a heart issue, as a personal relationship issue, as a life trajectory, God would say as close as you can to the beginning of friction, as close as you can to the instigation of hostilities, that's the moment to act. That's the moment to de-escalate. That's the moment to, to step in and say, whoa, 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 hold on. Let's not hate each other. Let's take a different route. I was speaking in uh, Budapest at a conference one time, and uh, I was using translators. In one of my classes, there were a bunch of Argentinian people, and I had an Argentinian class, uh, translator. And this dude was amazing. <laughs> I don't think I've told this story here before. But he, he was clearly preaching better than I was because the Argentinians were like, yeah, boy. I mean, they were into this sermon, right? And, and everybody else that were English-speaking was like, but he, 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 would do, he, was, he would listen to me. He'd go, oh, that's good. And then he'd, he'd translate to his people, and then he'd look back at me, and I'd, I'd say something. He'd go, that's right. And he'd go off, and they were, they were all excited. And later that day, I had a different translator. And that translator and I had, in my opinion, I felt like had this like, fun relationship where we were allowed to poke each other and tease each other a little bit. And he came, he, I was actually called to the front of the room unexpectedly, and he was called to the room unexpectedly. And, and we're standing side by side, and I'm saying something, and he's clearly saying something that wasn't what I said because of the response of the people in the room. And so he was telling jokes when I wasn't telling jokes. And I said something else, and he said something else, and the response said, eh, this is, some, something's off here. This guy is not saying what I'm saying. And, and I knew he was just giving me a hard time, right? That's the relationship I felt like we kind of had. I said, all right, man, all right, take a seat, take a seat. And I, I called for that other translator and called him up and made the first guy sit down. And I, I'm thinking the whole thing is just a big joke, right? We're just having fun with each other. Well, he comes to me a couple days later. He says, man, I want you to know, he said, what you did the other day embarrassed me and hurt me pretty badly when you made me sit down. And I, this was not on my radar at all. I, I, I legitimately thought at that point that we were just kidding and having fun. But he didn't take it as fun at all. And he said, he said man, he said, he said it would really mean a lot to me if we could sit together and pray and take communion together and try to get past this. And so that's what we did. We went to one of the corners of the room and, and got the elements for communion and took communion and prayed with each other and placed our hands on each other's shoulders and prayed for each other and and I said, man, I had, I had absolutely no intention of hurting you. And if I did, I'm really sorry for that. And now, and, and actually we've never been in person before. Now our, our relationship is entirely on social media. We're just friends online at this point. But now every time I see him, I'm taken back to that moment where two people broke through some, some hostility. Where, two peop where, 
It, it, you see, it was at the beginning. It was at the very beginning. He could easily now, he could easily 15 years later now hate my guts. And every time I pop up on social media or unfriend me or whatever it is, and, and I could have no idea that that hostility was even there except that he took this advice of Jesus that says settle things on the way. Settle things early. And it's always meant the world to me that he did that. And I think it's a perfect example of how we need to be in our lives. Of when, when people hurt us or we've hurt people, be proactive, be fast, and say, hey, can we deal with this? Can we, can we talk about this? Again, I know there's situations where, where you're just better off being separate from somebody forever. So I don't want to disqualify that as an option. But I'm saying as a general rule, we need to be on this side of the aisle saying, let's move quickly. Let's not let things fester. Let's not get, let things get ugly. In Romans 12, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You're not going to be able to live at peace with everyone. But on your side of things, be the advocate of peace. Be the one who pushes towards peace. I think Jesus would agree with the ancient prophet Yoda quite a bit. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And that's what Jesus is talking about here is there's this road you go down that starts with irritation. It, start, it starts with frustration. And it builds and it builds and it builds and it grows and it grows and it festers and it gets uglier and uglier and it ultimately ends terribly. And the place to fix it is early on. In 1 John it says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that the murderer has, that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is the word zoe in the Greek, and it's, it's abundant, overflowing life, and a murderer doesn't have this. And so it's not about Jesus saying, you should be good and not bad. He's saying, you should be full of life. And being full of life doesn't end in murder. Being full of life is reconciliation and healing and reaching out to one another, placing hands on one another and praying for one another when the moment calls for it. You move, you, you move from, in the original clip, a murderer of love to a propagator of love. And it goes beyond just physical killing. It's feeding life into the people around you, feeding wellness and human thriving into the people around you, feeling the love of, gospel and, uh, love of God and the gospel of Jesus and feeding it into people's lives consistently and constantly. And that's, that's the goal we're looking for. And I'll close with this. The early church father, Augustine, said this. He said, so what are we to do? He's, he's frustrated with this passage. He says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire, but no human being can tame the tongue, Scripture says elsewhere. So what do we do? And he says, Lord, you have become our refuge. He says, wait a second. We're not allowed to, we're not allowed to get like opposingly angry towards another person. We're not allowed to say you're an idiot. How can I ever add up? And there's only one way we can ever add up. And it's the Lord God becomes our refuge. The Lord God becomes our goodness. The Lord God becomes our, the communicator within us that goes out to other people. It's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. We have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and dependent on God. And so my, my closing instruction or thought or homework or prayer topic for today is this, is who are the people that you're, you're walking that road down? And you, some, some of them you may be way down here and you just honestly hate their guts at this point. Some of them are just starting to irritate you. Some of them have views that are different than yours and you wish they'd express them differently, but, but you would, it would be, it's just so much easier to dislike them than to dislike the idea and approach the idea. Wherever you're at on the scale, let God start to deal with that in you. Let, him, let, him sh let God show you who these people are. 